Hey, Shalom, and welcome to Witcast. This is our podcast from Wisdom and Torah Talmudim, Wisdom and Torah Ministries. And we are having fun here. We have a guest. His name is Ryan Weiss. Say hello, Ryan. Hey, everyone. You know, um, as we're doing this, Ryan, I'm glad that you're joining us today because we want to just make a special type of um, a Witcast. How do you like that name? Witcast. It's very sketchy, wit- isn't it? Very wit- it's, it's witty. 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 It's witty. And today we're going to focus it a little bit on, you know, biblical principles. But we're going to have a nice conversation in a relaxed environment about the Book of Esther. You know, right now we have um, we have uh, Purim, Purim coming our way this week. And many people, you know, look at in the Hebrew roots. Would you agree with me that in the Hebrew roots, whatever you want to call it, movement or understanding or Torah understanding, you know, there's such a lack of appear uh, uh, um, what do you call it appreciation yeah for things uh, Israel has done for over two thousand three thousand years whatever amount of years they've been done yeah and this book of Esther as you know is very interesting you know one of the books that does not contain the name of the creator Yorhevave anywhere in the chapters it was actually written it's never it's not about the priesthood it's not about the land and it's not even about the the temple. That's why I think it's the only book in the whole Bible like that. Yeah. So, so I was looking at this earlier this week, and it's it's interesting because so not only does it not contain the the four letter tetragrammaton divine name, it doesn't have any mention to God whatsoever. Um, there's one part we're going to see. There's there's a, a possible allusion. But there's not. It doesn't talk about this. It's the only book that was written. Like the entire story is outside the land. You notice that they never mm-hmm. go. They don't even talk about the land. Uh, they don't talk about covenants. They don't talk about the temple. Uh, they don't even really talk about. So they do mention that the Jews have a law, but there's no like concern for keeping it either. You okay. don't see anything like that. So it's really unique in that sense. Well, it's not even talking about. You know, purity laws is kind of unique because you read the book of Esther and you're thinking, why is this book in the canons? But then again, when you really understand it from a cultural perspective and you really understand it from what exile represented in the ancient world and the history. By the way, many people, you know, Ryan, many people read the book of Esther and they have no idea the time frame and the historical uh, sandwich per se, if you're going to use that language, mm-hmm. you know, where and when it was written. Yeah. And that's something that we need to make clear for the people so they understand the whole cultural, historical, and social political issues going on at the time of Esther. Yeah, I know. I, I, I completely agree. I think that's the best place to for us to start is by talking where exactly this, uh, what, what's going on outside in the world outside of this book of Esther. Uh, you know, we, we know, know that this is King Ahasuerus, which is, they know as Xerxes the first. Right. So uh, when we look at that, this is after this. So this is all set after the edict by King Cyrus that they can go home. Right. And they rejected returning to the land. They rejected going back to the land, which according to what we research in honor and shame and, and all that stuff, they're rejecting the, sh- the righteousness of God, which is a big affront to him. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and not only are they rejecting it, but where is Susa compared to Babylon? It's actually East. They went farther away. <laughs> yeah, they're actually further away from the land. But yep. it, but Ryan, isn't, isn't that a pattern throughout the history of Israel that every time the restoration has come, they reject it and they go farther into exile? Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, sadly is a is a pattern, and you know I think we see that in in people's lives today. Too, you know, you, you, we get uh, these revivals within the world of, of Christianity or the world of Judaism, and you see, uh, you know, a lot of people embrace it, but the majority of people they just kind of hunker down, you know. Right. Listen to the commentary on the um, on the Sunderland Sunderland Illustrated Bible Backgrounds commentary, which we heavily use for a few years now. It says, and uh, in the introduction to Esther it says. Even though Cyrus had issued a decree allowing the Jewish captives to return to their homeland, many had chosen to remain in Babylon after living there almost half a century. They have become well settled, prosperous. Um, the thought of returning to the ruined and isolated land of Jehu or Judah um, had little appeal to them. Some of these Jews made their way further east to the new seat of power in the Eastern world, Shusha, Susa. 
the capital of Persia. There were uh, there they gained favor and ambitious and capable individuals could attain positions of influence and uh, affluence and influence, as in the case of Nehemiah. You know, something really interesting, Ryan, that, that happens is many uh, people are not aware of that. Zerubbabel uh, and uh, the priest Joshua, Yeshua, mm -hmm. there's, there's a priest called Yeshua, they were the first ones to return, and then Ezra came a few whole bunch of years later, and then Nehemiah came in a whole bunch of years later. So, why is it about Israel that they refused to to accept the righteousness of God and return to the land? It happened after World War II. They yeah. didn't return back to the land. Yeah, and that's, uh, unfortunately, I think that's a lot of times where or why God sends this the, the type of suffering that we see here in the book of, or, you know, potentially coming up in the book of Esther. And, you know, sadly throughout their history is if they're not going to listen, God uses these, these foreign nations to punish them, to get them to try to do the right thing. That's ultimately, that's where a lot of times punishment comes from is God pushing us to do the right thing for once. Actually, he spoke about this in the book of Kings. In First Kings, he he the Creator says that every time Israel disobeys the Torah, he raises up an adversary against Israel. Because so so okay, so let me ask you this. So Israel, ultimately throughout the history, throughout its history, mm -hmm. is guilty of covenantal transgression, which leads to the Lord raising up people to make Israel either return or repent. But in reality, it's not the nations are fault if now that the Lord is using them as the vehicle to make Israel recognize to whom they belong to and where they need to go to. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I never realized this, but that actually comes into play even more in this story of Esther, because you've got the, the two main characters here uh, outside of Esther. You have Haman. Who Haman is an Agagite, and mm -hmm. then you've got, of course, Mordecai. Now it's so Mordecai. What is his ancestry? Where? What? What tribe does he come from? Benjamin. He comes from the from Benjamin. Who is who is one of his most famous ancestors? I just learned that that this week. It's really cool. King Saul. King Saul. Yeah. Now, so he, we've got an ancestor of King Saul, and then we've got an ancestor of Agag. Now, you remember the story between those two of them. That was in 1 Samuel 15, I believe, right? Where yeah, that's right. Saul did not king uh, the Agagite king. He didn't kill him. And this is actually what, what ended up losing Saul the covenant of kingship. So right there you have, I mean, essentially kind of this ancestor is coming back to to push, if you will, the descendants of King Saul back to where they're supposed to be. Right. Is that possible? That's pretty cool. That is really cool. <clears throat> I mean, I know there's a contrast there and a connection, but to, to put it in the way that you just said it, I never really thought about it. That was kind of cool. It's like bringing back King Saul to its rightful... So, so Mordecai did, and Esther, because she's from the Benjamite, she, as a leader and as a queen of Persia, she did what King Saul did not do. Yes. <laughs> got it. She, I got she actually now. puts really them to death. Hey, man, I did, I did not ever make that connection. Although I understood, I understood about the connection between King Saul, but I didn't make the connection of a reversal of honor. Honor status reversal. King Saul lost his honor on the kingship because he did not do that. But then Esther and Mordecai, they do it, thus restoring the honor of the house of, of, of Benjamites. That's yeah. really good. It's just kind of, it, it's like how uh, Ruth, the book of Ruth, is all about restoring Lot and his family, because Ruth is a descendant of Lot. And so it's about you restoring know, the, her, the honor back there in that family, too. That's really cool, because, got it. And by the way, Acts of Righteousness. That's the ultimate goal because of oppression. Oppression leads to a, a behavior on behalf of the oppressed. Either uh, turned over or die, or oppress somebody else. Oppression begets oppression, or the oppressed becomes 
crying out to the creator and then creator becomes the ultimate redeemer. Mm-hmm. And I think in Ruth we see that. When Ruth decided not to become the oppressor, although she was being oppressed by, you know, by being a widow. And, you know, in the ancient world, they didn't have any rights. Yeah. So, well, the cool connections. You know, so, I, let, me just, let, let me throw in one more little thing here to cement that. I, it, it just came to my mind. So one of the problems, not only did, did Saul not kill Agag, but he brought back a bunch of his possessions, right? Uh-huh. When you when you get to the end of Esther, when the Jews go out and they kill all these people, it over, multiple times mentions that they says and they did not lay their hands on the plunder. You can see that, for example, in Esther nine verse fifteen. Right. So that is true. The problem was King Saul took the plunder for himself, and now they're correcting that mistake by not taking the plunder. <laughs> you see, this is the this is the reason why it's important to study together. Because, you know, as much as I've read that story in the last three weeks, because I've done some teachings in Spanish on it, and I connected honor and shame to the story of the uh, the story of Esther, and but I did not make those connections that you're making today. So I feel like I'm learning something new. And now, by the way, that pattern still repeats itself. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a motif throughout Scripture. You see the same reversal of honor all the way through. You see it in Joseph. You see it in, in Ruth. You see it in Esther. You see it through uh, all throughout Scripture. You see the same thing. You see it in the Gospels. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you this question, Ryan. How do you feel that you have Mordechai, which comes from the word Marduk, the root word Marduk, and then you have Esther, which is a pagan name of Hadassah, and how they hid their identity, especially she did, in the midst of prosperity of its time before because by the way it took a whole bunch of years if you pay attention to the book of esther it was on the third i think on the on the third year they had the feast on the seventh year esther presented herself to the king and on the 12th year then haman passed the decree against Israel. So mm. it didn't take overnight here. This happened sometime in the kingdom. Esther was already a queen for a few years before she had to stand up. And on that t- all that time, no one knew she was Jewish. So tell me what you feel about how God uses those circumstances to bring forth awareness of return and restoration of honor. You know, I, I think that that is one of the biggest messages in this book that is unfortunately overlooked. A lot of times, the, the when people comment on the book of Esther, first off, they spend a, a, a massive amount of, of time trying to prove that it's a historical, historically accurate story, which, whether it is or not, doesn't take away the powerful impact that this story had on people, and so... I think that we need to get rid of those discussions and talk about why, you know, like you just said, why is he named Mar- Marduk, Mardukai, and why is she named Esther after Ishtar? And I would say that that by having those names, it's indicative of the amount of assimilation that they had in the what actually what was pointed out. They weren't really in exile anymore; they were in diaspora because the exile had ended, and so now they're choosing to stay. And they're, they're living in this diaspora state. And that's why this story really has had a huge impact on people throughout the centuries. Because when you're living, I mean, realistically, even us trying to keep the Torah, when you're trying to keep the Torah in Florida or Minnesota, you can't do it exactly perfectly. There's, there's At some point in time, there's some sort of compromise that has to be made, uh, you know, with, with whatever. And that... We look at what's going on here, and, and Esther is essentially the epitome of compromise in the, the the highest level, right? She's not only is she hiding her identity, but she's participating in a contest to become the wife of a pagan queen, king. She obviously was eating his. It says that he, she was eating his choice food, which would include you know food sacrificed to idols, probably a lot of pork. Uh, she's sleeping with a pagan king, a, pa- a foreigner. And if you look in Ezra and Nehemiah, what is one of their biggest things that they're against? Mixed marriages, yeah. <laughs> right? Right. Um, well, don't you think, don't you think though? Don't you think that the same token is like that is the penalty 
that Israel, and we see that in modern society. For example, uh, Chuck Schumer and uh, the other Jewish guy, what's his name? Uh, um, the guy who's running for president. Oh, Bernie? Yeah, Bernie Sanders. So even though they say they're from Jewish descent, well, these people don't have any kind of moral fiber in regards to anything biblical and how they're in a the government. Instead of becoming fruitful and leading people towards righteousness, in reality, they're doing the opposite. Isn't that the same thing? Yeah. Yeah, they're... So, so that means that the dispersion and rejecting... So let's put it together here, Ryan. So turning away from the exile. The exile ended. They rejected the return and the restoration of honor, and they rejected God's righteousness through through using Cyrus in the decree. So now they go farther east, which is farther away from the land of Israel, looking for comfort and looking for the ways of the world. So now they have to compromise in order for them to be in that environment, be accepted in the pagan world. Mm-hmm. And that's, by the way, that's what's hurting this country today and it's actually hurting in the Christian world as much as we want to be mindful that many people are very ignorant of it but you see it very much revealed in the big ministries they have to compromise the message yeah because they want nothing to do with the land they want nothing to do with Israel and they don't want to come back to the Torah it's the same pattern repeated not only in Christianity but also amongst Messianic Jews and Hebrews yeah no, it's it, and I I would see that trajectory in Esther. It starts off with a small compromise, her hiding her identity, because it, it kind of implies that she had been hiding her identity all along. The very fact that right. she's called Esther and he's called Marduk or Mardukai implies that they had been hiding who they were for for probably a lot longer than than what was going on here. And you see how one compromise ends up leading to another compromise and another compromise. But what's interesting in the story of Esther is that God God actually uses that compromise to put her in a position, but at some point in time, she's got to make a choice. Is she going to stand up for the people of the covenant, or is she going to hide who she continue hiding who she truly is? And we look at these a lot of these uh, very liberal um, Jews like Bernie Sanders, or you know some of the the. You know, I don't know all the different names of the, the... I think it's the Presbyterians, aren't they? The ones that are really compromising on Israel and stuff? Oh, um, yeah. Or, I don't know, it, or Episcopals. That's what it is, the, the Episcopalian. Um, and, and they keep on compromising. At some point in time, there, there's going to become a choice. you got to stand up and, and put your neck on the line like Esther ends up having to do. I mean, she, you know, yeah. when she was appearing before the king, that was, you know... Either you do it, or something else is going to happen. Well, something to think about also, Ryan, is the fact that we are supposed to be a kingdom that represents the image of God on the earth. We are supposed to be the image bearers of the God of Israel. And when we hide our identity and we compromise from who we are to appease the nations, uh, we are, in fact, rejecting our mandate. We are rejecting uh, whom we represent. We are, in fact, shaming him. And by the way, we know that he cannot be shamed. He was not stand for that. So in this case, he brings the tribulation. He brings the persecution and the oppression for us to take that stand. Don't you think that's the same pattern as in the book of Revelation or in tribulation period? Yeah, it's, it's brought on us because of what we're choosing to do. Absolutely. So how can we, how can we, what would be your suggestion because you made a statement, and I'll, be, uh, I'll caution, you know, for people to think that we are saying that we have to compromise being in the exile. But I, I believe that what you were trying to say was that we are putting ourselves in a greater position of compromise by rejecting our inheritance and rejecting our identity. And you can use your identity, I think, for two things. Correct me if, uh, I mean, you don't have to agree with me, but I'm just, you can use it to exalt through your identity and your lifestyle who you represent or you can choose to hide it and then in the time of trouble you have to make a choice so it happened with Mordechai mm-hmm. he was now he had to choose what they say bow down that's that's the position it happened with the three uh, friends of Daniel by the way remember the, the statue of, da- of uh, you know uh, 
What's yeah. it, the King of Babylon's name? Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar. That's yeah. right. Well, and, and that in itself is interesting because for Mordecai to actually have got that position, he would have had to bow down to the king. So it's it's specifically bowing down to Haman that is the issue there. Um, but yeah, I mean, at some point in time, you got to make that choice. And when I was talking about compromise, what I, what I meant was, uh, for example... None of us go to Jer- or you know mo- the majority of us. There may be like point zero one percent, but none of us really go to Jerusalem three times a year for the feast because we, sure. we can't. So that's a that's a form of compromise. We instead of flying there, uh, you know yeah. we we do that. So you know that's the, and those are the types of of realistic compromises that we end up having to make. How do we navigate this? Um, well, that's what Esther and Marduk. You know the. <laughs> That's what they did, really. They refused to go back to the land of Israel. And it's quite interesting. You made the statement that in the book of Esther, and I also made it too. It has nothing to do with the land, with the temple, with uh, anything like that. You don't see, even after the issue is resolved, that they were saying, okay, the queen is here. We can have free access to return. They still yeah. have not returned from there. That's that's true. Yeah, they... They basically just send out letters for everyone to celebrate Purim because of this, and then kind of go back to their life at this. And, and so, you know, historically we know that that I mean, the, the kingdom of Persia didn't become uh, God fears at any point. No, in time. not at all. Not at all. Um, man, I tell you, there's so much to learn from Scripture, and you know, I think that I have a I have a problem. With modern-day Judaism, um, in the sense of Purim, that I understand the delighting or celebrating, but are we celebrating to the point that we lost the sense of what it really meant? It should be a little bit of a okay. We thank you, Lord, for restoring us and saving us and delivering us. Mm-hmm. But then, why would why do we not return back to your land? Maybe, I mean, you know what I mean? It's like right now, I can't go back to the land. They will not allow me. Uh, even yeah. though I'm from Sephardic origins, they will not accept me. But how many thousands of Jews are there? I was just in Miami, right? Mm. And, man, great. You can find a place to eat. You can find a place to, with no problems, just like Israel. You know, it's expensive, but at least you can eat kosher stuff. And you don't have to worry about mixing it with pig and, and all that stuff. And... And I'm wondering, and they have all this, you know, shuls and synagogues, and they have all the schools, and it's amazing, beautiful. They live there. I'm thinking, I don't understand. Well, how come they don't go back to Israel? <laughs> yeah. You know? You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, it's like, it seems there's a pattern with Israel that they rather live in the exile than live at home. And, yeah. man, when is that going to stop? It happened after World War II. I mean, you would think... That after the oppression of the Europeans, you would no Jew would ever want to be in Europe. Yeah, no, they're 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 getting oppressed to this day now. I know, and they're in Belgium. You know what they did in Belgium? The community actually moved closer to the train stations. Hmm. In Belgium, that's something they told me in Antwerpen. They uh-huh. told me no, actually, they moved closer to the train station because back in World War One, World War Two, whatever, you know, they they didn't care, they didn't think anything was going to happen. It was like, oh, nothing's going to happen to uh, the same attitude, you know, yeah. all that people have all yeah. the time, like it's never going to come hit us. And all of a sudden, now it did. So instead of saying let's go back to Israel, they just said no, we just moved closer to the train stations. <laughs> okay, you know, <laughs> and man, when are we going to learn a lesson, bro? I don't get it. Yeah, uh, it's uh, sadly a trend. Every every generation has to relearn that lesson. It seems like they can't just can't uh, learn from the wisdom of the, of what their fathers went through. It's kind of interesting so, with that too. Well, what do you, do you realize? What day Haman's decree was on? They just kind of made, reminded me of that. The wisdom of the wasn't fathers. Wasn't it on the thirteenth of Nisan? Yeah. So the day before Passover. I know, right before Passover. Talk about oppression, man. Right before the day of the of redemption, deliverance. But but that was also the day of of you know do this or die. It was you know yeah. So it, it was kind of that same thing, and it, you know you look at it. 
they had a choice. You know, they they cry out, they put on sackcloth and ashes. They're wailing. It never actually says that they pray, but why why didn't this? I mean, they had basically what like twelve mo- or eleven months. That's more than enough time to pack up your stuff and head back to Israel. For sure, right? But instead, they they stay in the land under the threat of death, even rather than going it's, back. I don't understand that either. I mean, I'm thinking with the with the resources that Jewish people have nowadays around the world. I mean, imagine taking all those resources. What would have happened in World War II? After World War II, if all the Jewish people from all the nations would have packed up with all their money and all the resources they had and go to Jerusalem and go to Israel, what do you think would have happened? Oh, my God. The yeah. whole center of the world. Whoops. I just dropped something. Sorry. <laughs> I just uh, the whole Israel literally would have been the whole center of the world. right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they would have put even more resources into a to do and they've done an amazing job with what they've got um you know i i think too that they would have probably had a lot more say i mean one of the biggest problems is that they didn't drive the people out of the land once again uh, you know same pattern and so now they're dealing with these palestinians who there there really is not a a, a good answer to the to the scenario that they have they find themselves in now you know that's for sure. Do you, do you know that they're actually calling themselves the original Canaanites now? The, the Palestinians are. Yeah, some 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 of them are. Wow. <laughs> they're trying to they're trying to go to that route because people are now getting a little smarter. They're going back to the history and finding out that the Palestinians have never they were the Philistines, but not the Palestinians. That was a name given by the Roman you know uh, emperor, I think it was. So it's yeah. like, all you have to do is do a little research. You know that. Palestinian people really don't exist. That was the name of what the Roman name Palestina, you know, the the area. Yeah. There's so much ignorance. And it makes you wonder, you know, all those kids in the Palestinian control areas that go to school and they actually they actually believe that the Jewish people they killed uh, kids on Passover and they drink their bloods. Yeah. Well I mean but but, but think about how much indoctrination is going on in our schools. I mean, we just saw oh, with the the shooting at that school down in Florida, and immediately after that, they have. I, I just saw this on the news. They're having these kids who survived this shooting now become this major platform for the Democrats to go. I mean, like they organize an anti-gun rally. When yeah, but wait a minute. I was talking, I was talking about that today in uh, in a video that I did on Facebook Live, right? But when you bring up the gun control state of Chicago. And one of the highest per capita of murder in the United States, uh, and the media, and you bring it up to the media, no one wants to tackle that mm, because they're not white. Maybe I mean, does oh, yeah. it really matter? No, it, 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 what? it doesn't fit their agenda. It doesn't doesn't get them their viewers. It doesn't uh, you know push their their side of the picture. And so yeah, it's it's that same idea of the indoctrination, and they're they're really pushing our, this towards our youth. You know. Yeah, but the, but the, listen, but but check out the message that has been sent, that the voice of the of the African American and the lives of African Americans and the Spanish speaking people in this country uh, are no of concern at all, and the Democrats in this case, when they white kids from a pretty good neighborhood in Florida get shot at, now they are the voice of so called reason. And that, that brings in more division in the country because that can create more resentment. And by the way, the government is doing this, not the government, but the Democrats are doing this on purpose. The liberal media is doing this on purpose. That creates instability and inequality or lack of equity. And that could really make a big, big problem long term for this country. No, that's true. Yeah. Um, I mean, I understand uh, what, you know, Black Lives Matter, but to hate police and to and to because now we become individualistic isn't that what happened in the story of esther they only focus about their well-being they didn't care about the people in israel yeah yeah you know isn't that what's happening now well black lives matter okay fine we know there's only injustice we get it but why should you have to attack other people 
if your lives matter, then we have to stand up also for the lives of the African-Americans killing African-Americans or Spanish-speaking people killing Spanish-speaking people. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know that in the history that we've studied, some of the worst enemies of the Jewish people have been their own brothers and sisters. <laughs> yeah. You know that. Well, yeah, even in today, a lot of the people who are the biggest anti-Israel, the, the boycott, divide, or BDS, whatever it is, BDS, the, the boycott, divest, whatever, a lot of the, those proponents uh -huh. are people who are Jewish themselves. Crazy, uh, you know, right? And, you know, to, to go back to the, like, the Black Lives Matter and stuff, these these movements, and I don't know how they started, but, I mean, the, the idea there is, you know, it, it actually is a, a valid thing to say, you know, because there are, there are, really are racist people, and, but the problem is, is that these, these things quickly get hijacked, and they get turned against the very people that they're supposed to be protecting. You know? uh, exactly. It's like, uh, it's like the so-called Los Nocoheads, Antifa. Yeah. Is that what they call Antifa? Yeah. Oh, we don't want the fascist, fascist. But then there are, then there are uh, protesting and creating chaos and anarchy against people because of their right of speech. It makes no sense. How can you be against fascist movement and then become fascist yourself? Yeah. I mean, that, that goes to show you how, my Lord, the, the, the lack of context and common sense in this country have completely lost his mind. There's no longer any common sense. That's it, and it's it's that indoctrination, and that's you know with like with the Palestinian people, we've we've been over there, and I've talked to to these people. Most of them, really, I mean, if you talk to an individual, most of them aren't bad people. They they want to they want the same things we do. We they want to to prosper and live and have a good job, and. It, you know, realistically, Israel, the, the Israeli government is providing that for a lot of the Palestinians. I mean, what's yeah. what's the safest place for a Muslim in the world? <laughs> Israel. In Israel, that's for sure. <laughs> you know what's going on in, in South Africa? South Africa was an apartheid state, right? Yeah. And I remember when I was going there visiting, and I loved South Africa. It's a beautiful country. And the people that I dealt with were amazing. But I remember, you know, that people were complaining about their, their, their current situation. You know, and I, and I remember when I was doing my teaching on righteousness and justice, I, I made a comment and I said, you know, there's a principle in the Bible, it's measure for measure. And in this case, now we are seeing the end, result, the end result of, you know, the oppression caused to the Africans and how now the Africans are in control but, but the but what people don't understand is that within the African tribes, they are, there is apartheid. In other words, if a Zulu tribe becomes part of the control of the parties, they hire all their own kingship brothers. Yeah. And now there's colored and there's different shades of black. So now you have the whites are not controlling, you know, and again, apartheid is evil. But yeah. what's interesting is the, the, the whites were controlling the government. Okay, but now the Africans are controlling the government, but they are now creating apartheid not only against the, the whites but against themselves. Yeah, and that makes no sense. And I got a really, I got a chance to really see that while I was down there. And now the new president, I was watching on the news, the new president said that they want to get their land from the white people without compensation. Because he says that was their land, and they took it. Hmm. Now, do you realize the chaos that's going to happen about oppression? You know, yeah. they're going to take away the land from the people who harvest, that put the food on your table. That happened in Zimbabwe, and that did not go well, you know. So talk about oppression. Now, Israel have always been through the same pattern. Do we need to be oppressed because we reject the land, the people, and the covenant? When are we going to learn that lesson? Yeah. So what do you think? Do you think there's come a time in which America will become again? Um, no, not again. America will become a socialist state because that's the direction we're going. In other words, Persia was ruled by a king who the king gave the authority to the uh, to a revolutionary, in this case, Haman. Yeah. He's trying to establish 
He was you know, bought off, basically. I mean, he offered him money, and he just let him do what he wanted. Uh, oh, by the way, let me let me make mention of this and corroborate this with me because we studied this stuff before. I read in my story and my study of the Book of Esther that the Persian kings used to make decisions while they were drunk. <laughs> well, Did you know that? It it doesn't surprise me because you you look at the the story here and that's what they're doing. I mean, he he just, it was a cultural thing. I, I didn't actually realize this, but the second time, I was just reading this I, I, again right before the show, and the second time that Esther has the, uh, the, the banquet with the king, she doesn't actually reveal who Haman is until the second day of this banquet. Exactly. So they've been drinking, yeah, and... This says the the king arose in his anger from drinking wine, and went right. into the, the garden palace. So, well, it, you know, but, but that's what happened in the in the uh, when he got rid of uh, Vashti. Yeah, well, they and, were drinking. And, and you look at this the, this this whole story of Esther really does not have a very good outlook on uh, the king. He's he's portrayed as a very weak individual. If you noticed in. Uh, after the whole episode with Vashti, his the people convince him that he's got to write a decree that women have to listen to their husbands. Uh huh. Okay, that's true. I mean, that, to to me, that's just funny. You've got a male dominant society, and they're looking for the king to write a law that women have to obey their husbands. Well, but, but, but remember though, remember that in the ancient world, they had such a thing as. Imitating your God, imitate idea, which if the king represents the gods. Mm -hmm. So if the king allows that to happen, then everybody had the right to do the same. Yeah. And uh, I mean, but you're right. It's just I'm looking for that thing about the, the drinking. Oh. oh, here we go. Allowed to drink royal wine in abundance in verse one, verse seven. OK. Oh, chapters one. And the Archaemenid, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce that word, Archaemenid, Persia, grape wine was primarily a drink for the wealthy. The masses had to be content, contented with strong drink. Okay? So I'm looking for something specifically here in which they were allowed. Here we go. It says, according to Josephus, it was the custom of the Persian to force the guests to drink nonstop. And the servants bringing wine continually to the table. Circes mm. suspended this custom at this banquet, allowing guests to do as they please. Okay? But it's interesting that it tells you uh, that they used to make decisions while drunk. And that, that explains why then Esther wanted to do the banquet. Oh, nice. I didn't think about that, but yeah, that, that makes yeah, sense. Says that they were drinking. He drank after drinking. You know, he was upset while drinking. Hmm. That's cool. So now I was wondering, come back tomorrow. You know, let's delight. Let's drink some more. I mean, can you imagine? You got to remember, though, that the king already passed a decree. And yeah. if it would have come to him against Haman for something that he decreed, that would have been a challenging to his authority as a king. That would have been just like Vashti not showing up. She would have been more brazen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But look at the timing on understanding the culture, Ryan. She understood the culture. She understood the timing. She was wise enough to understand how it worked. And waited at the right time for this to happen. So I think when we remove ourselves from culture in the ancient world, we lose sight of the real content of this particular book. Now we know yeah. why it's in the campus. It's an important storytelling for our learning experience now yeah yeah you know I, I wanted to go back a little bit to what you'd said before about our, our modern country and how you see us kind of going downhill um, I think that this this story and the story of Daniel really speak to us as believers in the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob living in the United States today um, there's there's been this trend uh, i wouldn't say I, I don't know i just every so often i hear this well you know we're just supposed to escape babylon and this just push against us being involved in the politics in the united states that's not what the bible is actually teaching us 
I mean, I agree, and this is why I spoke out today because I agree with you hundred percent. It's our role as believers to to sometimes be Daniels or be Esthers to speak out and, and to have a voice in politics because otherwise we're going to make our own hell in this country. We're going to make our own communist state by just saying, well, you know, our citizenship is in heaven, so you know, just let let the U.S. go to to you know where. So let me ask you a question, and I know many people are not going to like this, but it's my wit cast, and I can say what I want to. <laughs> All right, so let's connect what you just said with the police officer who was well-trained, who had a weapon in his hand, who knew the audience that he, that the oppressor, the shooter, was killing, mm-hmm. and he chose mm-hmm. not to do anything when he could have done something. And he chose to hide behind cover. Isn't that the same thing as people now in the Hebrew roots wanting to leave Babylon instead of staying here and intercede, cry out like Mordecai in the midst of trouble? Yeah. Maybe he was compromising at one point or another. Maybe he was hiding his identity. But when the time came to make a decision, he stood up and never bowed down. Yeah. And he was alone. think Think about this, too. That... And and that officer who did that cowardly act, those kids were putting their trust in him to protect them. Right. Their, their parents were trusting that officer to protect their children, and he didn't do his job. I mean, he's, in my, in my book, and this is just me personally, he's as guilty as the guy who went in there and shot the school up. Oh, absolutely. Because that was his job, that everyone trusted him. And the thing is, especially as believers in Yeshua, we are called to be the kingdom. We are the people that God has entrusted to make a difference in this world. And did you hear my Facebook live at all? I, I caught in parts of it. I was uh, my I was helping my wife get the kids ready. They were going to a homeschooling event. <laughs> and you are a hundred percent right, man. I mean, so so adding to what you just said, so that means that. The cowardly act of this police officer who knew those kids, who's been working there for years, who was trained, who had the weapon in his in his side, uh, refused to engage. That's a cowardly act. So anyone now in the Hebrew roots or Messianic, whatever, 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 who refuses to engage and would not help spread the righteousness of God in the midst of oppression, we are the same. Yeah. Yeah, and, and 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 Leviticus five one tells you if you hear or see a matter and you don't say anything, you equally as guilty. I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We're in trouble. So we are in trouble. Yeah. So that means that that means that we follow the same pattern, Ryan. The oppressor came. Haman came in the light of Hitler. Gotcha. Then we have people who uh, allowed Israel to return to the land. Some came back. Percentage, just like in Babylon and just like in Persia. Small percentage, less than 10% of all the Jewry back in the first uh, World War II returned, the ones that were left alive. Mm -hmm. So now we'd rather live in a compromised world, in a paganist society, and now we have to eventually make a decision. By the way, no one is speaking against that police officer. They're talking against the gun, and no one even is talking about the shooter. They're trying to take my guns away. When in fact, I had nothing to do with that. That's that's true. Yeah, it's it's completely backwards. It's it's trying to shift the blood. And honestly, my opinion is that they're scared to confront the real problem. Esther did that. the The real problem is not the guns. The real problem is morality in the United States. It, it's, exactly. I mean, I, I was uh, our, our friend uh, Yoel Halevi. He made a post that yeah. was it was interesting. He was kind of he was saying, "Look, you know, I've seen a lot of these posts about people uh, saying that all Israeli school teachers are armed, and that's just not true." He was saying that they do have you know guards there, but the point that he made is that they don't have those shootings in Israel because when someone has issues like that, it's brought out and they get help for it. That's true. In our they are cannibals to one another. In our society, we're being bombarded with there is no God. You can be whatever you want to be. You know, if you feel like a male today, if you feel like a female today, this is what's going to happen. We live in, in a confused society, and our children suffer from just 
absolute chaos and confusion, what do we expect? So we've got... Well, wait a minute. And, and then well, on, wait a minute. on top of that, our people who are supposed to be heroes are, are have no morals because they're not even willing to lay down their life for, for other people now. Isn't that exactly what Esther did? She hid. Yeah. And even Mordecai, when he finally stood up, he told her, you know, don't think that this is not going to get to you either. I'm paraphrasing again. And maybe maybe you were put there for this particular situation. He called her out. So You're right. She initially it's the same. Him. It's the same pattern. It is the same pattern. And, you know, one of the things that concerns me about this whole thing is that they are blaming something that really has nothing to do. I mean, that's the agenda. We lost the focus. We are no longer a society who are uh, a collective society or we are individualistic. And yeah. by the way, you just, you just said it. If you remove God and the Bible and you remove the love of country, that's why you stand up when I was when I was a kid in high school uh, and you do the Pledge of Allegiance as a, as a group. Mm-hmm. Everybody did. You know, and, 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 and you know, Josh Tolley says something today. I saw an, a, view, a video that he put out before. I don't know when he did it, but he said that back then in the we had a country in the first world war, second world war, that kids the age of the shooter will go into battle defending the values of the country. And now he have a kid at that age killing their own people and their own country because, like you said, you can be male or female today. You can't even say he or she anymore. You can just have your little safe space because you get offended. And we become an individualistic society. Well, it's an example. Go to the airport. I'm there all the time for all my travels, man. And you look down, and I catch myself doing it too. We are stuck our face in the phone. We don't pay attention to anybody. That's we true. don't talk to them. Yeah. You know, and I'm guilty because I'm always reading and doing something, and I'm going like, oh, my God. I'm becoming individualistic. I'm only worried about what I need to do. Sometimes I'm in a plane, and I don't talk to the person next to me for five hours, traveling yeah. long distance, and I'm thinking, it's a perfect opportunity to get to know somebody and see what they're all about. And not for six hours, but at least two or three minutes, you know, and we don't do it. Yeah. And that's a problem, bro. The Book of Esther, I think, still very much... Uh, hmm. We're making some pretty cool connections to everyday life today in the 21st century. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's why I, I love the the narratives, the stories like this because they speak to us to today. And this is why this is really why I truly believe that this is the inspired word of God. I mean, this like we said, the Book of Esther doesn't contain the name of God anywhere. In fact, the Dead Sea Scroll community, the Qumran community, they didn't even keep mm-hmm. the Book of Esther. And, and, right. and most of the people believe it was because it doesn't contain the, the name of God. But you can see the inspiration because it continues to speak 2,000 or 2,500 years after the fact. We're still seeing how this this speaks to our lives and and just, you know, how, how it can inform us on what we need to do, that, that we need to. I, I really believe, like, like we've been talking about here, we're coming to a point in our country where Mordecai is saying, you need to speak up. You need to do something. You need to stand up. Yeah, you need to stand up and call out to the Lord. One thing that Mordecai did, even though this is a prayer, but you know you have to call out, and you normally cry out to him. And it's in the midst of oppression and desolation that we need to make a choice in whom we're going to believe. In this case, the police officer chose not to help the neighbor. He didn't love his neighbor as himself. And, uh, and many people die because of him. Mm-hmm. And now the sad thing is that I heard the, the, the sheriff from Broad County saying that he, he was not responsible. He equips them, he gives them the gun, he gives them everything, but he's not accountable. He's not responsible. He's the leader. Yeah. Now, that makes it worse. Just for that statement alone, I will get rid of him. Oh yeah, yeah. I I really hope he goes out the door too, because because not only does the, that that one sh- the one deputy who was assigned to the school not do anything, but the first four deputies or whatever they were called on the scene stayed behind their cars. They didn't go running into the school. So it, it's and a- you know that's really odd. that's really odd, Ryan, because I do tactical training. You know this. Yeah. And right now with active shooter situation, the whole protocol have changed. Before they did that. Mm-hmm. Before they would wait back, secure the perimeter, and wait for SWAT to come in. 
But now they, they actually change the protocol because they tell you you got to hide, but then fight. Because they, they found out that the faster you try to deal with the threat and the individual, the less, uh, more, less lives they take. Yeah. And now they tell you that if you are in an active shooting situation, then you engage. Even if you're the only cop there, you engage. Because, like, for example, there was a particular one at a mall in which uh, there was one guy shooting people at a mall. And there was a particular person who didn't even shoot the gun, but he, he was a concealed carry. Oh, yeah. And he pulled out his gun towards the shooter. The shooter saw him and then killed himself hmm. just because he said it's over. Yeah. Well, oh, the, these the guys are cowards. They, these oh, shooters are, are absolute cowards. You don't see them going and attacking a police station or you know somewhere that's armed, right? <laughs> you know, so what we see the protocol, and I know this because I train with a tactical team, and that's what they teach us. You know, uh, it's like in an active shooting situation, if you're the only one, you engage, and uh, I know it's not an easy thing because when you get in uh, an AR pointed at you, and I heard the sound, I've been around it, I've shot it. And I have bullets go over my head, not too close, you know, way high. Um, it's not a funny, it's not a fun sound, especially indoors. But um, but the fact that he didn't do anything, it would have been equivalent to to Mordechai knowing what was going to happen and not doing anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, so uh, we have a or, or, we become a nation of cowards. Yeah. That we no longer defend the children, bro. Do you realize that that's the ultimate level of oppression when we no longer have the to the love to put our lives on the line to defend the uh, the children? Yeah, that's that's crazy. It's crazy, and it, it goes to show how far we've drifted from God. Because you know, and I don't know this guy, this sheriff's or, or deputy's religious beliefs, but realistically. Any one of us, if we really believe in Yeshua, we should have no problem putting our life on the line because we know that our God has the power to raise us from the dead. And he has the Absolutely. power to take care of our families and who are we left behind until that day. So, yeah. You know, one of the, th one of the things that motivated me to start speaking out on this matter is the fact that the story of Esther does show us that if we don't, you know, worse things can happen to us. You know what I'm afraid of, bro? I am afraid that soon this will start reaching our own congregations. We're very vulnerable. Yeah. And that, I hate to say it that way, and, I, and I'm not in no way, shape, or form prophesying, God forbid. But the pattern is the pattern. And if we don't stand up, then if we are supposed to be the voice of reason— of the righteousness of the Creator and the image bearers of God, and we're not saying anything. We equally bear that guilt, and He needs to move us for us to stand up and take the mantle of authority that He has given us. Yeah, I hear so you. So this is highly for me. This is very, very much a concern, and I want to thank you for 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 joining me, man. I mean, this has been really enjoyable trying to look at the Book of Esther and this perspective. I made some connections I never made before. <laughs> Yeah, oh, so, cool. so I, I loved. Uh, this is a great dynamic with you know, especially when we're pulling this into to to uh, today's culture. Um, we're gonna have to problems. do that a little bit more. That's what really Witcast is all about. We want to start taking biblical principles and talk about what everyday life has gone. You know, for example, you know, uh, abortion issue, right? This is another thing, the abortion issue. You know, mm -hmm. I don't understand. You know, defending the lives of those children at the school. You know, is that acceptable? Yeah. But yet a woman who, uh, 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 a woman, I'm not talking a woman who's raped, okay? Yeah. A woman who willingly opens herself to having out of uh, out of uh, sex, uh, uh, out of marriage, without any kind of responsibility, and, and now becomes pregnant, it's acceptable to, to, to get rid of the baby because that's her right. But yeah. she's, again, we are blaming the baby for the actions of the person yeah and and this is the the issue again is this propaganda because they try to lump every single abortion into one category right right we really need to to separate out 
probably three separate categories. Number one, completely voluntary. You, you know, you did what you wanted to do. Now you're pregnant. So that's one category. Then there's, there's maybe the rape category. And then the third category, I'd say the, the few times that the doctors feel that it's a medical necessity. And when you look at the percentages of those, the rape and medical necessity categories are less than like 0.1%, if I remember the statistics correctly. So, but the problem is, is that everyone tries to lump those into the the discussion about these, you know, uh, just free will abortions or what do you want to call them? Where, Where you just, you know, you had a good time with your boyfriend or some random guy last night. Now you want to do that. And, and as a society, we can't allow that to happen. We've got to have separate discussions. You know, I agree. Um, I agree. Well, we're passing on the buck again. We're doing we're doing exactly the same thing as it is with the shooting thing, blaming the guns, and we're doing the same thing as the uh, the actions of a person uh, irresponsibly giving their way their bodies and not taking any responsibility. You know what happened to the times when a girl became pregnant and the parents forced them to get married to teach them accountability. Yeah. And take responsibility for it. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, so you are absolutely correct in regards to rape and the medical uh, necessity of that. And by, by the way, for the rape thing, you still you you have a a way to not let the baby pay the price. It's called adoption. Yeah. No. Yeah. I. I. I and, and I personally feel that. You know, there, there's a lot of good that have come out of women who have been raped and they decide to, to go through and give their child up for adoption. I'm just saying we need to separate that out into a separate discussion because well, the, I know the, the morality and the situation is so right. different that, uh, you know, there, there needs to. And, and this is the thing is, is there's always gray area there's there's always you know some sort of you can't just put a label on what on it and just say this is the only thing you can do right oh i hear you man it's like i understand a mistake it's like oh man i wrote the wrong letter or i did this wrong but you know in order for you to get pregnant you have to have a consensual consensual relationship we're not talking about the rape the rape issue yeah. uh consensual relationship in which you wanted the act and you took the the chance to come become pregnant and now the baby pays the price for your responsibility and we don't keep the girls accountable and, and by the um, way the- by the way did you know that it with the rise of abortion and and stuff like this that the std rate has skyrocketed as well you oh take, yeah you take away the consequences it used to be uh, no, I don't want to do that because I might get pregnant. Now it's well, let's go ahead and do it because I can just take a pill tomorrow. And so now right. they're, they're they're engaging this oftentimes without any sort of protection. And now you know she she gets rid of the baby, but she can't get rid of the AIDS. <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, you know, it's the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, our action, yeah, <laughs> our actions have consequences, and until we learn that uh until we learn that and we become a uh, united united kingdom not the united kingdom but you know what i mean the united yeah. kingdom instead of indiv- individuals you just want to go back to gonna... england don't you you want a queen <laughs> no i want a king but i don't want a queen um you know it's interesting ryan i really appreciate you showing uh some of those different aspects of the Book of Esther and how we interchange with each other. And, and I want to thank you for being here today. We This is our time that we have for today. And uh, this is with Cass, uh, Wisdom and Torah with Cass. It's called Podcast, talking about, okay, not pot, but pot. I got to learn how to pronounce that right. But uh, we have a good time. And in some instances, we get into some serious topics uh, of everyday life and society in light of Scripture. And I yeah. think that if we are honest with the patterns that the overall essence of morality, righteousness, justice, and honor the Bible teaches us, then we will stay away from the shame, and Amen. we will stay away from the consequences of sin. Absolutely. So thank you, Ryan. Hey, thanks for having me. Any last before you close? Let me just do a little self-plug. You can uh, reach me at rootedintorah.com, and you can also check me out. I have my own podcast called Conversations with the Bible. So. Thanks for having Are you me. You invite me to one of those sometimes. I, I may if you pay me enough. Uh, Heyman paid what ten thousand gold. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's what it is. So. Uh, so I'll buy you some of your favorite soft drinks. You know, I, you know what they are. I got one. Hi right guys, here. thank you so much. Yeah, so say your website again. Uh, Rootedintorah.com. 
All right. So, and thanks. then after you go to his website, go to my website, wisdomandtoral.com. All right, guys, we'll see you soon. Thank you for joining us, and I pray that these are these are topics that you will consider enlightening and also uh, edifying to you. And, and if you disagree with some of what we say, that's okay. Just come back next time and keep listening to me. Shalom. Shalom. Shalom.